Open uh, your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 1. And we're looking this morning at verses 9 through 11. Let's give our attention now to hearing God's Word. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What good does prayer do? You know, we pray. Does it really do any good? Sure does. I remember um, in college getting a phone call that my dad had fallen unconscious during worship service and had been rushed to the hospital. And so what could I do? I was five hours, five and a half hours away. And so I um, fell to my knees and I prayed. People say, hey, what, what's going on? You're on your knees. Uh, I said, I'm praying for my dad. He's unconscious and they don't know what's wrong. They said, well, let's join you. So my roommates joined me and they prayed. And we put it out on the college prayer chain. And within moments, hours, the whole college was praying uh, for my dad to regain consciousness and for them to find out uh, what was wrong. <clears throat> Two days later, he walked out of the hospital and the doctors never could find out what was wrong because God answered prayer, right? There was clearly something wrong when you're not conscious, there's something wrong. But they could find nothing wrong. We just celebrated his 96th birthday last month. And he's still doing well. God answers prayer. And we probably all have stories like that where you know it was a God thing. Other times, you don't know what it was. But there's clearly times where you know it was just something God wanted to do. He wanted to minister to us and take care of us and love us and hear us. The Apostle Paul is somebody who's always talking about prayer, asking for prayer, and praying for others. When I read this prayer, which I would not have probably ever preached on this passage, it's one of these passages where if the preacher doesn't go verse by verse through the book, you just uh, I'll skip over this one. I've never heard anybody, not because it's controversial, but I've never heard anybody pray this prayer. You know, there's some famous prayers of the Apostle Paul people pray. But this is not one of them. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody pray this one. So think about it again. Um, he starts, he says, this is my prayer. I'm, I'm about to pray for you guys, and this is it. So it's a model that we could use for one another. You could use for me for sure. The more I meditate and think, think about it, those of you who pray for me, pray this prayer. This is my prayer. It's my prayer that you that your love may abound more and more. We all need love. That's the way he starts his prayer. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely a request for love. And we're going to get comfort. If we get more and more love, we're going to get comfort. We're going to get encouragement. Paul's praying for the Philippians. He's praying for more and more. Think about that request. A simple request for love. 
What's two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two greatest things God says you can do is love and love. Paul says, I want my prayer for you is love and love. More and more love. You need it. I need it. That's my prayer for you. I will never be at a place on this earth where I don't need more love for God. And more love for one another. So when somebody asks me, what do you need? What can I do for you? What do you need? I need more and more love. I need more love for God. I need more love for man. And we kind of say, ah, I knew that. But you're not praying that, are you? So many times we pray for so many things. We pray for stuff. And we're not praying for our greatest need. And our greatest need is love for God. Our greatest need is love for one another. Paul says, that's my prayer. That you abound in love more and more. God wants us to be built up in love. Um, you know the passage. Let me just share it again. John 13, 34 and 35. Where Jesus tells his disciples, this is really the mark of the church. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So you have there in that passage both an internal mark and an external mark of the church. Internally, you're supposed to be known as a fellowship of lovers. You love one another. And you're supposed to, to just get together and love one another. There's times like this day where you come to this place and you say, I need a hug. There's people in this room who haven't been hugged all week. Some have not been hugged all month. Maybe some not all year. You know there's a place, there's times when you need that. I just, I just need somebody to tell me it's going to be okay. And tell me they're there with me. We need a hug. We need the kiss, holy kiss. We need the embrace. We need the prayers. And God says the church is to be known as doing that. We get together to pray for one another, hug one another, handshake one another, kiss one another, love one another. And then externally, the world sees it. And the world says, behold, wow, look at that. That is a group that loves one another. And as the world sees that kind of love, it says, you know, I could use a little of that. And they come and are wowed by the grace and mercy of God and the church grows. This is church growth strategy, folks. Paul's trying to grow a church in Philippians. He says, my prayer, he doesn't say, my prayer is that God gives us numbers. My prayer is that God gives us money. No, my prayer is that God gives us love. And more and more and more of it. That's what I want us to be known for. Is a and, and our, one of our slogans we came up with years, years, years ago is a life-changing faith within a loving fellowship. 
That's what I want us to be known for. When people have come to me and say, can I take pictures of this, this, or this, or this in the church? I said, yes, but always make sure every photograph you take somehow represents life change or loving fellowship. Because that's how I want us to be known. I don't want photographs that don't tell the true picture. The picture is life-changing faith, loving fellowship. And my prayer is for love. That was Paul's prayer. That needs to be our prayer for one another. It's an increasing prayer. Increasing love. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Another kind of church growth principle based on love. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, Paul says, speaking the truth in love. We had a lady in this church years ago. Somebody must need to hear this. God just brought it to my mind. You know, it's not in my notes anywhere. What those kind of funny things happen. We had this lady in the church that just, she felt like it was her gift to just go around and tell everybody everything you were doing wrong. You know? And I confronted her about that. I said, what's up? I mean, why do you think that's important? We, we know typically what we're doing that's wrong. And she said, well, I'm a prophet. And I said, okay, that's okay. I, don't, I wouldn't define prophecy that way, but I get it. I said, so why are you doing this? She said, well, I just think God wants me to do it. God's got to have somebody to take, say the hard things. I said, no, no, no. Rather, we're to be speaking the truth in love. And if it's done in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ. I said, if, if people aren't feeling the love, if they're not growing up into Christ, your speech is wrong. Our language, what comes out of our mouth, is to be in love. And we need love more and more and more to be coming out of our mouths, building one another up, growing the church. Paul goes on, um, Verse 16, from whom the whole body, so every one of us, everyone in here, every single person joined and held together by every joint. So we, it's like we're all holding hands. It's a big family with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we all do our part, we grow. And we're built up, but we're not built up unless the body is doing its part in love. My prayer is more and more love. That's what the church needs. That's what the church is known for. That's what grows the church. That's what impacts the community, and the people around us. An incre increasing love. We need love for one another, and we need more of it. Second, we need an intelligent love. He says, I, I pray that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. That's the intellectual side of it. It's not just 
an unthinking emotion. I want you to have a love that increases and it's just smart. Um, Paul experienced people that didn't have the smarts at times. Let me give you an example. Look at um, Romans 10, 1 through 3. This is a passage where they had some knowledge, but it wasn't smart. Okay, it wasn't intelligent. Romans 10. First three verses. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Here's people that just, that, that just don't get it yet. They're ignorant, Paul says. They're not intelligent. They're people who have a zeal for God. If you want to talk to them about God, they'll talk. You want to talk to them about Christ, they'll talk. You want to talk about religion, they will talk. They're not turned off by Christ or the church. They will talk to us, engage us. But then they'll go out and live like it all depends on them. They have to earn heaven. They have to earn salvation. Their surrender and trust is not in Christ. And Paul says, that's just not smart. When Christ has come and given his life to be a substitute for us, and you don't accept and receive that, not smart. So I want you to grow in a smart love. Don't, don't grow like the love who thinks they need to be somebody in and of themselves instead of being someone in Christ and having an identity that's really in the sufficiency of the righteousness of Christ applied to us. Um, that's smart. That's love with knowledge. Uh, give you an example. Look at uh, John 14, 21. John 14. Intelligent love. You saw the unintelligent. Catch this. John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now see, there it is. Same kind of argument on the righteous foot instead of the unrighteous foot. Where John is saying... God says you love me when you keep my commandments. He didn't say keep my commandments to earn love or to keep my commandments to earn salvation, but to respond to his love. When you get it that God loves you and you run to him and say, God, how can I respond for the great love and sacrifice you've given to me? And he says, follow me. Well, what does that mean? It means keep my commandments means do life the way I would do life. Not that you may earn it, because I've already given it to you. But, see, that's, that's smart living. That's smart love. That's grateful living, grateful love. Verse 23, same passage. Jesus answers, says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's just wise, smart, and intelligent. And the Apostle Paul when he says, I'm praying that your love will 
abound more and more in knowledge. It means that, that we have an understanding of what God wants for us. Where God wants us to be, He wants us to love consistent with love commands. And those love commands are summarized in the Ten Commandments. Um, let's make it a little more applicable. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves His church. Ephesians 5, right? Husbands, do you love your wives? You'll say all day long. Wives, do you love your husband all day long? But is it a love that abounds in knowledge? Is it intelligent, smart love? Are you husbands gathering your families together, I don't know, say three, four times a week and opening the Bible and washing them with the word and with prayer? That's what Ephesians 5 said Christ did. How did Christ love the church? He washed her with the word and with prayer. Husbands, are you loving your wives like Christ loved the church? See, that would be smart, wouldn't it? To have a family that's, that's being prayed over by the dad and washed through the word by the dad. Not in some legalistic way. It's just smart love. An intelligent way to go about it. And wives, to love your husbands like the church loves Christ. Do you, do you see what they do, their sacrifice, their protection, their care? And do you demonstrate to them respect and honor in your words, in your language, in your embrace? And see, that's just smart. That's not trying to get what you want and have him get what he wants. It's just smart love. Abounding in love with knowledge. The Ephesians 6 past 5, 6 goes on. Children, talking about application for children in the home. Children, do you honor your mom and dad as God wants you to? How does he want you to? He says, I want you to do it understanding there's a commandment. That God has put them over you. That you didn't get to pick your parents. God chose them for you. He wants you to honor that design, honor that authority, respect them, obey them. See, that would just be smart. That would be living life with an intelligent love. It's love is what it is. But it's done in a wise way. The world doesn't get it. Can't get it. They have not been given the commands and the heart that we have in Christ. So be smart about our love. Let's be intelligent. Pray for that for me as I make hundreds of decisions all the time. That it's smart. That it's consistent with the Word of God. It's not just what I want to do. But it's a, I want to do it in love. But I want to do it according to the knowledge of the Word of God. Um, We'll move on. Um, but it, just to say, ignorance is not bliss. And love is not just an emotion. Move on. I pray not only for increasing love, intelligent love, but insightful. The next word in the text, it's a, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. God wants us to, to love 
with increased perception, with insight, seeing stuff that other people don't see. It's, it's a depth of reasoning that many people don't see, that they're, they're so full of distractions in the world today that we don't have the discernment that comes through Christ's Spirit and His words. Are you letting distractions destroy your discernment? Distracted by scrolling the phone, the computer, television, the sports. I mean, it's endless, right? Distractions. A love that is discerning takes time. There has to be some way that you deal with the distraction to build discernment into your living. Where you, you ponder, God, why did you just do this? Why is this just happening? You ponder those questions for insight, discernment. And if we don't have the time to meditate on God and His Word, we won't have the discernment. Pray that I have a discerning love, not just a love for God. A discerning love that you have, a discerning love that it's increasing day to day with insight and perception. Suppose uh, Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventists, to name a few, Suppose they show up at your door this afternoon and say, hey, we're, we're going to be starting a school and um, just trying to get some support. Uh, could, you, could you give us a donation? Help us out. Would you say, oh, sure. Sounds cool. That'd be the loving thing to do? No. Absolutely not. That's not love with insight. There's no discernment there. Why would you help to build the kingdom of Satan through some cult group as opposed to building the kingdom of God through the church. It's not discernment. You're still, love, both cases, you're loving humanity. One is with insight, one's not. Abound in a love that's insightful, that thinks these things through. Um, and, you know, it's just, it just again, it's, it's wisdom to see second, third, and fourth steps down the road. By the way, we're seeing some fruits of it here in the church. I'd love to see more that, that you get that it's insightful to give resources. I use that example of giving resources to humanitarian needs and not at times thinking about the needs of Christ and His church. But... The by the way is, in this room, we've got dent dentists, we've got doctors, we've got lawyers, we've got mechanics, we've got teachers, we've got schools represented. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of, of services. And think about, you, you, you need services, I need services. Do you ever think about when you choose a service... The, the owner of that service, that business, is that a tithes and offering member of the Church of Christ? Does that person give of the resources God's given them 
to Christ in his church? Good question, because if they do, and now you go to them for a service and pay for that service, they're going to give what you give to him again to the church, and the church gets it twice. Got it through you, and got it through again. That's building the church. See, that's just insight. The thing about, I, I've got to choose uh, a, an insurance guy. He just left. I got to I got to choose a realtor. He just left. What happened to my family? <laughs> I've got to. I've got to choose a, a, a dentist. I've got to choose a lawyer. I could choose this one, or I can choose that one. And the question comes to my mind: Well, do they tithe and give to Christ? That's the one I want to use because that person is already a channel of building up the body of Christ and blessing the church. I want to abound in love. For Christ and His church. You understand what I'm saying? It's just learning to have both discernment and insight and perception into why am I here on this planet? Why does God want me to exist? Is it just for a humanitarian cause? Or is it for Christ and His church? For His praise and His glory? And I can make choices and you can make choices that are both discerning and knowledgeable. And I call on you to think about what, what a tremendous prayer. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. See, that's, that's a big prayer. In few words... But it's a big prayer. And if you're ever wondering what to pray for me, there's one. I'd love that prayer. Pray for me every day that my love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Then he gives his reasons. So he's given us the prayer, verse 9. And then in verse 10, he starts giving us the reasons. Here's reasons. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Two reasons. He says, the reason I'm making this prayer is because I want you to abound in superior things, and I want you to abound in spiritual things. I want you to approve superior. What is excellent, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent. Things will help us or things will hinder us. The one that's going to help is excellent. The one that's going to hinder, mm, see, not so much. And we can always see that in our choices. This is what I can do today. Is that going to help? Is that going to hinder? Choose. I, I, the reason I'm praying you have more and more love and knowledge in the sermon is because I want you to to approve. I want you to select. I want you to choose the excellent, the one that helps, not the one that's hindering. I want you to, to prefer, start, you get to a place where your heart just prefers the essential over the trivial. You, uh, you prefer discernment over distraction. We talk about all things that can distract. But you just say, yeah, I'm free to do that. It's not really sin. 
but it's just not expedient. It's not helpful. It's, it's not excellent. It's second rate, third rate, sometimes just really a waste. And he says, I'm, I'm praying for the, the increase in love with knowledge and discernment so that you start becoming a spiritual treasure. You uh, approve superior things and want them. Uh, in order to be, he goes on, in order to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. How cool is that to be able to see Christ on judgment day and to stand before him pure and blameless? that's what I want for you. That would be thrilling to be able to... It's almost like the, the host of heaven mount up with excitement as we, we grow to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ and look like Christ and we're pure and we're blameless because we know we get to that point where Christ presents us as His bride to the Father without spot and without blemish. He says, that's what this prayer will do. God answers my prayer for you. You're going to start approving and wanting and choosing the superior, excellent things in life. And you're going to maintain a character that is worthy of being called a child of God. A couple of biblical examples. Look at Malachi 3, 16 through 18. Malachi 3, last book of the Old Testament. says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. They shall be mine. Wow. Those are great words. I love it in a, uh, a wedding service where the groom and the bride finally get for the first time, sometimes in the service, you're my husband. You're my bride, my wife. You shall be mine. To hear God say those words over us. Those of you who paid attention and feared me and esteemed my name, God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to say, you will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I'll spare them as a man spares his own who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. God makes a distinction between righteous and wicked. He makes a distinction between destructive and helpful. Uh, distractions and excellent. He makes a distinction. He puts it in the category of you're doing what you do to esteem me and to fear me, to revere me. He says, when I see those people, 
I'm going to say they will be mine. Because I am making up a people group. I am making up what I'm calling my treasured possession. What I most want in heaven around me. And it is people in the image of Christ who fear me and revere me and love me and serve me and they shall be mine. Paul said, I want you to be that kind of person. I want you to be that person. And so I'm praying for love for you more and more knowledge, discernment, so that you can approve. You, and you'll actually be approved as one of the excellent. Another popular verse for the day of judgment, I'm still there, says that you'll be approved when you stand before Christ in the day of judgment. Look at Matthew 7. 21, I think it is. Let me see. Matthew 7. Uh, Yeah, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name? See, these are people who are thinking what I do is earning me a right, a place. They'll say, Lord, uh, I think I've earned my right. I prophesied in your name. Cast out demons in your name. Did many mighty works in your name. Miracles. And then I will declare to them. Now... He doesn't declare you shall be mine. He declares you're not mine. I've never known you. You're a worker of lawlessness. You don't keep the commands. Don't know the commands. What you're doing, you're thinking you are somebody and by your work, you're earning a right at the table of heaven. You're earning your way in. That's not the ones I'm interested in. I'm interested in the ones who approve what's excellent. What's excellent in life? Would it be more excellent to do a miracle or to worship? Would it be more excellent to prophesy or to worship? Would it be more excellent to do many, many mighty things is the way they described it? Or worship according to God's commands? And the excellent things that we approve, when, when, when our hearts are full of love for God and one another through the work of His Spirit, then we do what's excellent. Paul says, that's what I'm looking for. That's the reason I'm praying. What I'm praying, because that's what's going to get you there. It's a heart change. Transforms you from the trivial world of, of doing stuff to earn righteousness when Christ gives righteousness to those who fear Him, to those who trust Him, to those who believe in Him. Fear and worship. That's why we put the first day of the week top on our list. That's why other things fall away. No, I I will be in the house of the Lord. I will be with God. I will be with His people. I will sing praises. I will enter to His courts with thanksgiving. I will lift up His name. 
I will sing and shout with the saints. Those are priorities because those are the excellent things in this life. That God says, I know those people. They are mine. Well, last, and that we abound in, I just summarize it as spiritual things, verse 11. Because really that's what it is. Uh, He says, you're filled, it's past tense, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. This is not, you don't have to fill up your tank. The, The Holy Spirit fills us up. And you, you know what that is. Um, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, starts to change us, He produces fruit. Galatians 5 mentions fruit of the Spirit. And it says, um, you know, the works of the flesh are obvious. Galatians 5, 19. Everybody knows about these. This is what we do without Christ. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, those who do such things, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Now remember, fruit of the Spirit. This is not something you produce, I produce. This is something the Spirit produces. So when he gives this list, you have to think, how does the Spirit do this? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not See, I'm born loving myself. I already have love. The fruit of the Spirit comes in, I want to love God. Fruit of the Spirit comes in, I want to love you. Fruit of the Spirit comes in, I want to love God's commands. That's a fruit. The love starts flowing to objects that were never in my sight as an unbeliever. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Fruit of the Spirit changes. I used to be really excited and jumping up and down in the sports arena and all about it. But there's a fruit now of joy that I get excited when people come to Christ. I get excited when people sing for Christ. I get excited when we lift up the name of Christ. That's a joy the Spirit produces. That's what he's talking about here. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, peace with God, not just peace with man. Um, patience, kindness, goodness, fruit, faithfulness. You just got to think through that list. How is the Spirit producing those things? It's always God-centered. It's God-ward. And it's for His praise and His glory. Back in Philippians 1, they says, that's what I'm praying. That you'll be filled with this fruit of righteousness. This that the Holy Spirit is doing within you just floods your soul, fills you up, pours out through you that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Ultimately, it all comes to the glory and to the praise of God. Well, if you're in an athletic event, you're, you've got a coach that's going to train you, teach you, bring you together as a team. And then after he's done all that, and this is the first week for a lot of sports events, uh, once he's done all his work, you're getting ready for the first game, he says, now stay focused. Remember what I told you. Stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. Remember what I told you. We're going to be all right. Just got to stay focused. Do what we've trained to do. Keep the game plan. Makes sense. If Christ were here, if Paul were here, 
What's the game plan? Church, stay focused, stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. What are we to be known for? Love. Love for God. Love for one another. Stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. Abound in it more and more with knowledge and discernment. Being trained to think through the commands of God so that we approve what is excellent and superior so that we abound to a place that's nothing but the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a prayer that's short. We can all pray. Lord, I ask that you would raise up prayer warriors for me that would pray this prayer. Make us prayer warriors for one another that would pray this prayer. Father, we, we don't want to stay the same. Lord, we want to be more. We want to be more in Christ. We want to be abounding more and more in love. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the just unintelligent, ignorant way we have lived moments of our last week. We want to start fresh this week with discernment and knowledge of proving what's excellent. Grant us your grace and your mercy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.